Well, this week, the North American Christian Convention is in uh, downtown Kansas City at the Kansas City Convention Center. Starts on uh, Tuesday uh, evening, and uh, you still have an opportunity to register for the North American if you want to make that a part of your week. It'll be uh, three days filled with some really uh, great worship. You'll have the opportunity to worship with folks from all across North America and even around the, the world. You'll have the opportunity to attend some great workshops in the afternoon if that's something you can do. But the evening uh, worship sessions, you really would benefit from being a part of. There'll be a, a great chance to worship together with all kinds of folks, to hear some uh, really tremendous preaching for a change. So you ought to you ought to uh, consider that and, and uh, consider being a part of that great event. It really is a tremendous time of worship and hearing God's word preached. There's uh, some information about the North American on the table just in the foyer. You can register online at uh, go to nacc.org and you can, you can sign up to register. If you've uh, volunteered to, to serve, we need your help tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock at the convention center. There's an information sheet for anybody who signed up to volunteer uh, at the Next Step station and on the North American uh, table in the foyer. Grab one of those half sheets. It just says North American volunteers, and uh, we'll carpool from Wallula at 9 o'clock, so if you want to carpool down, you can meet here at 9 o'clock, and we'll go down. We need everyone there at 10 o'clock. If you haven't signed up to volunteer yet, and you have some uh, free time tomorrow morning, we can still use your help, and so we're going to gather at the at the convention center at 10 o'clock or here at 9 o'clock, and I can't imagine it'll take more than uh, a couple of hours to hang up signs. That's all we're doing, so if you've got kids in elementary school or whatever that you need to figure out uh, what to do with them. They, they can tag along and carry signs and do that. They would be able to participate in that. And uh, we can for sure use uh, some extra hands tomorrow. Just sign up at that uh, table in the, in the foyer, the North American, with all that information on it for the North American. You can sign up on that sheet and, and grab one of the information sheets and we'll, we'll touch base with you this afternoon or this evening. Uh, through email, so check your emails uh, probably and text message and, and all of that and so we can get together and, and serve in that way. Be a really great time. I uh, want to take a minute in our service right now. We're going to pray for a couple of people. Uh, they, uh, Kara Babcock and Morgan uh, Savage and her dad, Storm Savage, are heading out tomorrow. You guys can just stay where you're at. We're going to pray for you. But uh, go ahead and stand. You guys stand. The girls stand. Storm, you, yeah, go ahead and stand. We'll let you stand. I mean, go ahead. Uh, they're leaving tomorrow for a mission trip with CIY to Ireland, and so I just want to take a minute and pray for them. In the New Testament, when uh, folks were set aside for service in God's kingdom, uh, they were commissioned, and uh, the church laid hands on them. We don't often do stuff like this, but if you're around those young people, then you can just place a hand on their shoulder or, or uh, storm, if you're close to storm, I mean, just lay hands on him, just right on the head. And I'm going to ask everybody else, if you're not near them, if you would just extend, extend a hand in kind of their general direction, okay? So this is not a super weird thing or anything. We're just going to pray for them, and we're just going to, uh, just uh, as a way of sending them out. Uh, to, to serve God and, and uh, have a great week. It's a week-long trip, Morgan, about a week, about. 
And so they'll be doing some uh, different things serving him. So let's pray together. Father God, we love you. And uh, we thank you so much for uh, loving us. And uh, we're grateful for these uh, folks and their willingness to serve you and just to, uh, to share your story and, and places they've never been before and uh, to share your story in, in ways, perhaps, that they've never shared it before. And so I'm grateful for their uh, courage and their willingness to do that. And uh, we, we for sure pray for safety as they travel, and we pray for a great experience with this team that they'll be getting together really for the first time in the next few days, and, and uh, just pray for a great experience there. But more than anything, we pray that uh, your son would be made more famous through all that they do this week. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. All right. Proud of you guys. Have a great trip. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to uh, a team from Wallula that will be heading to uh, just south of Mexico City uh, later, uh, almost this month in July, uh, to, uh, to serve at a sports youth camp. So lots of great stuff happening, uh, sharing the story of Jesus uh, through Wallula Christian Church. Uh, this North American, one of the things that will happen at the North American this week is on the last night, they're, they're ending the convention in a different way than they've ever ended the convention before. They're throwing a party. They're, having, they're calling it an after party. There'll be all kinds of stuff going on uh, Thursday night. They just want to make a, an event where everybody can come together, have a really great time, uh, hang out with each other, and to celebrate Jesus together. And I, I was thinking about parties this week, and, and I guess a party means a, something different to different people when you hear the word party, but I think at different times in our lives, we think uh, party means something different to us. Maybe, maybe when we were in preschool or graduating from high school, Emily, you, you thought party, you thought bounce house. That's what you needed. You know, if you had a bounce house and you could jump up and down until you threw up, that was a party. And so that was exciting. I remember when I was 10 years old, all I wanted to do when I was 10 was play baseball. I loved baseball when I was 10 years old. And for my birthday party that year, I wanted, I wanted to play baseball. My birthday's on August 28th. You can go ahead and write that down in your notes if you want. August 28th, don't do that. And uh, I wanted to have this birthday party. But when I was 10, the baseball season for kids was long over by August 28th. There, there was no fall baseball. I'm that old. We didn't do stuff like that. And so the baseball season was just over. And I said, man, I, I really want to play baseball for my birthday. My dad said, well, why don't we get some kids together and we'll, we'll have a party. I'll drive you to the elementary school. We can play on their baseball diamond. We can play baseball. I said, man, that would be so great. And so that's what we did for my 10th birthday. I remember two things about that birthday party. I remember, you know, piling like 12 10-year-old boys into my dad's van and driving from our house to the elementary school. And I remember that it was August 28th, and so it was like 140 degrees. It was brutal. It was so hot. And the thing I remember most about that birthday party, which is kind of weird, but I remember my dad just standing in the middle of that diamond throwing pitch after pitch after pitch to 10-year-olds and just sweat pouring down his face. And he looked just exhausted through that party. I was having a blast. I have no idea if my dad looks back as fondly on that memory as I do. But man, it was such a great party for this 10-year-old boy to play baseball, even in 100-degree weather. Just such a great party. Well, I'm not 10 anymore, and so when I'm invited to a party now, mostly what I'm concerned about is that it's over by about 9. 
right? I mean, you hear the word party, and it just means something different to us at different times in our life. And I suppose we don't think about our relationship with Jesus as an invitation to a party very often. But this morning, I want us to know that we are invited to the king's party. And Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 22 where he extends this invitation. He describes for us what it means to be included, what it means to be invited to the king's party. He tells a story about a king who's throwing a party for a wedding, and and he invites some folks to that party. And we're going to consider, make three considerations this morning as we think about what it means to be invited to the king's party. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, We'll take a look at the first 14 verses here as Jesus tells the story about a king who throws a party. In Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is what God's word says. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Three considerations we need to make as we think about being invited to the king's party as Jesus tells this really interesting story about a king throwing a party and and making this invitation. Consideration number one is that we need to consider the kingdom. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So many of Jesus' stories that we call parables, that Jesus explains uh, his teaching in this way, they begin with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. It, it makes me think of reading a bedtime story to a, a kid or, or hearing a fairy tale told. And so many of those stories begin with that phrase, once upon a time. It's so common that this week I thought, I'm going to do some research and I'm going to figure out why stories begin with this phrase, once upon a time. And so I did that. I, I researched this for a while and I wasn't having much luck. And so I, I kept looking for different uh, ideas about why stories begin with this phrase, once upon a time. And to be honest, 
I didn't come up with much. There doesn't seem to be this overlying reason. There doesn't seem to be this historic kind of event or this, this author who decided this was a great idea. The best explanation I could find is that it, it's a way for the, the speaker, the storyteller, the author to convey to her audience that, hey, I am about to tell you a story that I'm going to tell it in a way that makes it seem true, but we all know it's really not. We all know that it's a fairy tale. We all know there's no such thing as giants and beanstalks that reach to the sky. We all know that this is a made-up story. And when I considered Jesus beginning his stories with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, I couldn't help but think about uh, being that 10-year-old boy again attending vacation Bible school. I'm not sure if I was 10, but I remember one summer when our vacation Bible school when I was a kid was all about Jesus' parables. And we, we learned about different parables, and I still remember my teacher that year uh, explaining the definition uh, to this, this little kid what a parable was. She said it was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And when Jesus begins a story with the kingdom of heaven is like, he's really sort of uh, doing the exact opposite that a storyteller might begin a story with once upon a time. If once upon a time says, I'm going to tell this story in a way that's, that seems true, but it's really not, Jesus begins his story with the kingdom of heaven is like to say, I'm going to tell you a story that we've all experienced before. You've been invited to a party. You've, you've known people who've been invited to a party. You've invited people to parties. You've ignored and accepted invitations to party. We all share in that sort of common, earthly, everyday experience. And that's true, but there's something even more true behind this story. There's a deeper truth that I want you to understand. I'm telling you this earthly story with this spiritual meaning attached. When you, you hear Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's sort of a cue to really pay attention, to dig in, to, to know that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a story I can relate to, but there's something more that Jesus wants me to understand. And as we consider uh, this story this morning, we have to begin by considering his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like if every story or nearly every story that Jesus tells begins with this phrase, well, what's this kingdom that he's talking about? And as you read through the New Testament, you learn some things about the kingdom of God, about this kingdom that Jesus is speaking and one of the, the first things you learn is that it's a present reality, that it's here, it's in our midst. Look, turn over in, in the Gospels to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Take a look with me at, at Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus is talking about the kingdom again in, in Luke chapter 17. In verse 20, he's having a conversation with some Pharisees. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in 
our midst. The kingdom of God is all around us. The kingdom of God is present even now. Jesus ushered in this kingdom with his ministry. If you look over just a, a couple of chapters in the Gospel of Luke to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, while they were listening to this, he, or verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. There was something special, obviously, about Jesus walking the same kinds of roads that we walk. And as Jesus lived this life on earth and ministered for those three years, he ushered in his kingdom. So the kingdom's here. It's been ushered in by the life and ministry of Jesus. And yet there's something bigger to his kingdom. There's something bigger yet to come. If you, you turn sort of to the end of the story, to the book of Revelation, and Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 we figure out that there's there's uh, something bigger to the kingdom, that there's this end times element, that there's this uh, eschatological element, the, a big word that, that just means the, the second coming of, of Jesus. And Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. There's this eternal element to his kingdom. And so it's in our midst, it's been ushered in by Jesus, but there's something bigger yet to come. And ultimately, that heaven, that, that kingdom of God will, will be heaven for all of eternity, for those included in his party, those included on his team, those included and his family. Right now, it's embodied in the church. Go back to, to Revelation, just go back to the beginning of that book, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 say this, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God the Father. He's made his church to, to serve his kingdom. And chapter 5, that same language is used in verse 10 again. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. That's powerful language used to describe the church as reigning on earth. The, the gates of hell can't can't threaten it, that, that God has a plan to use his church in a powerful way to grow his kingdom, that we're invited to be a part of, of that process, that it's here right now, and we can be a part of that team, and yet there's something bigger yet to come. You know, I, I started here at Wallula about 12 years ago, and when I started preaching here at Wallula, I told stories about my kids. They were in preschool. They were goofy stories about my kids in preschool. And now 12 years later, I'm telling goofy stories about my kids, but they're in high school. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. And as I'm having conversations this summer with my friends, I can't understand how my friends are so old. They have kids who are graduating high school, and some of my friends have kids who have, are... are in college and have graduated in college and kids who are getting married. It's ridiculous. What happened to my friends? 
But the stories kind of change, and, and as I think about and hear those stories, sometimes as parents, we're kind of, we share those stories, and it's almost, it's kind of sad. It's sort of bittersweet. You know, we talk about how fast it goes by. But, but I think about it, you know, man, I, I sure don't want my 16-year-old to act the same way as he did when he was in preschool. You know, I want him to have grown. You know, I'm praying every day that he grows. Right? That those kids that, man, I cherish those moments and it's fun to think about those memories and it was so great to be in that moment and to, to have the little drawing come to my office and say, look what I made for you and oh, thank you. I'll hang it on my wall in the trash can. It's so wonderful. It's so exciting and it's, we ought to be in that moment and be so excited about it. But man, it's pretty cool, you know, to, to go to the, the fifth grade graduation and Send him off to middle school. It's scary, but it's pretty exciting. Now, you know, he's 16. He can drive himself to the stinking practice. That's pretty exciting. You know, that's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's awesome to be in the moment again. And I look forward to someday far in the future, right? Celebrating with him and my daughters on their wedding day. You know, experiencing at what it means to be a grandparent all that stuff and in that moment that's that's so cool and there's just I, I just think about the moment with your kids and how we kind of lose it or we celebrate it but there's something bigger isn't it that whole process that's what's supposed to happen that's what we're praying will happen that's what we're hoping will happen that's what we're working as parents to to help along the process that they, they learn something from those years in, in preschool and in grade school and middle school that they can make wise choices as teenagers and young adults and that their, their lives are, are better, you know, than our lives. That they make better choices. That they serve God in bigger ways than we do. There's something bigger there. It, it's just sort of an example to me of, of this idea of the kingdom. Yeah, we are invited to be a part of his team, and we are, should be so excited to be a member of that team and to do all we can to pour our energy into serving him and, and helping and being the hands and feet of Jesus, sharing his love in the moment. But don't lose track that there's something bigger, that that story is, is not an in-the-moment story, that that story is an eternal one, that Jesus is a, a Savior that makes a way for us to spend eternity with him. And eternity is one of those words that's hard to exemplify. One of my favorite illustrations is, is that rope illustration. We've done it here before, but if you can imagine a rope that we just stretched out and we hung around the room that extended all around this room, and that represents eternity. Well, our lives on that rope would be designated by maybe an inch of that rope, and the rest is eternity. We, we get so concentrated on the inch when that massive rope extends all around the room. And Jesus invites us to be a part of his kingdom forever and ever and ever. We can only deal with the inch now, huh? But there's something bigger there. We have to consider what it means to be a part of that eternal kingdom. So our first consideration in this story is to think about his kingdom. Our second consideration is to consider the invitations 
the king in the story, he, he extends some invitations to folks to attend this, this party, this wedding feast. Verse 3 says, He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Well, we live in a, a day and age. I remember as a kid, you know, we'd receive an, an invitation like to a grade, in grade school. You know, some little kid was having a birthday party and they'd hand out invitations in class and you'd take that invitation home and at the bottom of that invitation it said RSVP. I still don't really know what RSVP means except that you're supposed to tell them whether you're coming or not. You know, we kind of live in a world where RSVP is a thing of the past, isn't it? You kind of just, hey, you're invited and hope somebody shows up. You know, that's kind of how it goes. We're, our schedules are so hectic, so busy. Well, in, in verse 3, when the king extends this invitation, then he expected a response. And to ignore the invitation was not simply uh, to ignore the party. It was to ignore the party thrower. It was to skip it altogether. Now, relationships matter so much. My daughter Lacey plays on a softball team with another young lady, and I tease Lacey that these two girls, they're the same person. They share a brain, I think. They say the exact same things. They do the exact same things. So when I was picking this young lady up for practice with uh, Lacey, uh, they, my wife was, and they had a conversation about the girls were talking about swimming or whatever, and, and uh, Sherry asked this young lady, so do you swim at your neighborhood pool? Do you have a neighborhood pool? She said, yeah, but I don't go there. And I, well, why don't you go there? And she said, well, I don't go there because I might see people I know. That's so my daughter, I, I just can't figure it out. I, I thought that was sort of the point, right? Uh, go hang out, be in relationship. And that's sort of what's the matter here in verse three is that they didn't accept the invitation. It's not so much that they're not at the party, but they've cut that relationship. So how does the king respond? What does he do? In verse four, then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered because nothing says party like fattened cattle butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. What did the king do? He extended more invitations. You know, that's our God. Our God invites us to be a part of his family. He invites us to the party. He invites us to play on his team. And when we delay, when we ignore that invitation, he is a patient God. He's a patient God who extends another invitation and another invitation. As you read about in the New Testament, our, our next series we're calling Doomsday, it's going to be a fun series as we think about the second coming of Jesus. It's going to be a great series. If you have questions about that, you want to be here the next few weeks, you want to invite your friends to be here the next few weeks, it's going to be a fun series. But the New Testament talks about why, you know, why hasn't Jesus come again? And part of the reason Jesus hasn't come again is that God is a patient God that he's allowing his people the opportunity to accept the invitation, that he extends the invitation again. But again, in verse 5, they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. They had other stuff to do. The rest even seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This, this gives us kind of 
a more complete picture of who God is because God is a patient God. God is a God who loves us so much that he will delay, he will give us every opportunity to accept the invitation. But our God is also a God who is absolutely right and absolutely just. And what we read about in verse seven is this king who, who reacts, who judges. And our God is a God of judgment. We have the opportunity to say yes, but he's also a God who uh, uh, at some point, on some day, will stand in judgment of us. My son Clayton, he, uh, he has this debt. We won't go into details, but he owes the Bank of Kaufman some money. Right, and he has this debt, and he's been, he's been working, uh, you know, to pay this back. And so when he earns some money, you know, he's got he's to make a payment to the Bank of Kaufman. And uh, one of the ways that he's been earning money this summer is that he mows his grandmother's yard. And his grandmother loves him too much. It's ridiculous how much money she is paying this boy to mow the yard. And so I make fun of him, I tease him about it. This is just ridiculous. You ought to, this, this is silly. You're using their lawnmower, their gasoline. You've got nothing invested in this. This is not how life works. Understand this. Life with grandparents is different from the real world. All right? It's different. And so we, we tease him about that. And, and one day, a, a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, Clayton, you know, our yard really needs mowed. I, I want you to mow the yard today. He said, okay, I can do that. And I came home that night, and the grass was taller, the weeds were taller than they were when I left. The yard wasn't mowed. I said, hey, what happened? He said, well, you know, I forgot, or whatever. Okay. Next day, hey, Clayton, I need you to mow the grass today. Okay, I'll do that today. Came home that night, not mowed. I said, hey, what happened? He said, whatever. It's not even worth repeating, right? Whatever it was. Some ridiculous explanation. So the next day I mowed the yard. And I decided, well, I mowed the yard. I asked him twice to mow the stinking yard, and he didn't do it. So I mowed it. So I'm going to add back on to the debt to Bank Kaufman. I'll add on, but I'm, I'm a gracious, loving father. So I only added on half of what his grandmother pays him. I thought I'm a spectacular dad. I told my wife, Sherry, because I believe this is brilliant parenting. So I told Sherry, hey, this is what I decided to do. And I got the oh, honey. Do you ever get the oh, honey? You know, it was like, oh, honey, give the boy a break. Oh, honey, why are you like that? You know, that's what I got. I thought, what happened here? You know, yes, I, I, I was patient. I asked him multiple times to do this. And eventually, you know, there has to be some kind of consequence, huh? There has to be some kind of judgment. Our God is perfect. I don't want you to take, carry that story too far because my judgments are far from perf perfect. But our God is completely righteous, completely holy. And while his judgment, you know, we read about that, sending in soldiers and, and wiping that town. That's not easy to read. That's not easy to hear. And thinking about God's judgment is not easy to teach. And I can't fully explain it that this totally loving God who is so patient and extends us 
invitation after invitation is also a God of judgment. But because God is so big, because God is perfect, then even that judgment is perfect. We have to consider the invitations that God extends and our opportunities to say yes to them. The third consideration we need to make is to consider the guests. Look at verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Isn't that awesome? He said, we're throwing a party, and I want you to invite anyone, anyone and everyone to come to the party. Tell them the party is ready, and everyone is available. I don't know if you've ever been invited to a really exclusive event. I've not. I, I searched my recollections for, you know, showing up at this exclusive event, and I just can't find one. I, I know that this last spring we, we were on vacation in San Antonio over spring break, and we were staying at this hotel, and, and we get our room key, and we go to the elevator to go up to our room, and we punch in the room number, and the elevator won't move. And I think, man, this is the kind of hotel we stay in. You know, the elevator won't move. And we're trying to figure it out, and... and and Sherry, she's the smart one. She takes the hotel room key and she slides it in and then presses the number and it goes up to the appropriate level. At some point in time, this was some kind of like club level. I don't even know what you call it, right? I've never stayed on that level of a hotel before. And while it doesn't function that way anymore, you still have to tell the elevator to move with your room key. And man, the kids kind of thought, wow, this must be pretty cool. They found out it wasn't that cool, but They thought, this must be pretty cool, right? There's this exclusive invitation. And we kind of think, this is the God of the universe. A God who creates everything we see. This God, this big, big God, must offer sort of an exclusive invitation. But the invitations that are sent out, the guests that are gathered for this party, they include the good and the bad they include everyone. You know, there's, there's a reason that a, a, a guy like me gets an invitation to that party because God loves us so much that he includes anyone who will, who, anyone, no matter our history, no matter our choices, no matter what we've done in the past, or, or he invites us to be a part of the party. He invites us to say yes. Verse 11 says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. This seems a little weird to us, but part of the the responsibilities of, of a host at the wedding was to supply his guests with wedding clothes. We wouldn't do that today, I guess. Well, wedding parties, I suppose that's kind of how that goes. And so it wasn't that this man couldn't afford the clothes. Or he didn't have the appropriate attire. It's not that sort of deal at all. It's the fact that his host provided him with these wedding garments, and he chose not to wear them. We're invited in to God's family. No matter our past, no matter our history, no matter the choices we've made, no matter what we've done, where we are at, we are extending the invitation to say yes 
to enter into relationship, to be included in the party, to be included in his family, but he doesn't want to leave us where we're at. He wants us to continue to know him, and so as guests at his party, we, we have a responsibility to continue to know him more and more, to obey him, to, to follow after him. So the poor and the persecuted, the sinners and the outsides are all included, and we can grow in him. We can wear the wedding clothes and obey God. We can make him the number one priority in our lives. We can humble ourselves to become like little children. Verse 13, then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Because when we say yes to him, we can, we can be born again. We can humble ourselves. And when Jesus talks about entrance into the kingdom in John chapter 3, he talks about being born again, being born of water and spirit, beginning this relationship and, and baptism with him, acknowledging him as, as Lord and as Savior. I told you my friends are getting older. I'm talking to this this couple whose son just recently got married, and I asked, well, how'd the, how'd the wedding go? How'd, the, how'd everything ha- happen, and, and what was it like? And, and they said the wedding was great, and the, the reception was sort of interesting. I said, well, really, what happened at the reception? They said, well, there were thunderstorms in the area, and at the beginning of the reception, it was so hot, and the venue wasn't cooled down, and the party was just sort of dead. Nobody was enjoying themselves at all, and then it got worse. It went from bad to worse because the electricity went out in the storm, and we sat there for like 30 minutes in the dark, And when the electricity was finally restored, the storm had blown through and the temperatures had dropped. And so what was just an uncomfortable setting became this beautiful setting. And the party just kicked off from there. And it was this wonderful celebration. He said it was like two different parties. It was like two different receptions. We're invited. We're invited to the king's party. We're invited to be a part of his family. We're invited to be a part of his team. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful that my life can be marked by the moment when I accepted that invitation, that it can stand as like two different lives, that we can be made new, that we can begin fresh, that we can enjoy a relationship with a creator, sustainer, redeemer God. You're invited to the party. Don't leave today without accepting that invitation. Let's stand and worship him.